Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to be gathered here again. Are you excited to be here? That song we sang, thank you, Eddie, Lily of the Valley. You know, we got to the conclusion of the matter, matter in Ecclesiastes. Fear God. The lily of the valley, that is who we are fearing. I trust we can worship with joy this morning. I was talking to a brother this week, and we were discussing current events, and Mr. Putin came up, and we said, what is driving Putin to do the things that he is? We sit back and we shake our heads and we say, why? What would drive a man to do that? We kind of narrowed it down to three things. Number one, either he's crazy. Number two, he has a bigger plan in mind. Or maybe number three, he wants to make a name for himself in his final years of his life. Whatever the case is, we don't know. We can't see into his thoughts. My question for you, why do you do what you do? Did you ever look at somebody and wonder why they're doing that? And if you're like me, I've done that. Why are they doing that? On social media, sometimes a post will come up that says, has a picture of this beautiful lodge out in the woods. It says, would you live here for a year if you gave up so-and-so, your device or technology for a year? And people jump on, oh yes, I'd give it up so I could live out in, in the woods at this nice lodge. They were willing to sacrifice something for this better thing that they thought was worth more. You know, we go to the store and we give money for material possessions that we think are worth more than our money. The question I pose this morning is, why do you do the things that you do? What do you value? And last week we looked at finding purpose through living stones. And I hope that we have found a purpose. In, in a couple weeks, like Lean was referring to, we're going to answer three questions that are commonly used in our council questions. Do you have peace with God and your fellow man? Is it your desire to live by and uphold the doctrines of Christ and His church? And are you planning to participate in communion? And we sit there and we go down through, yes, yes. Do we know what we're saying yes to? Do we ponder the questions? And my goal for the message this morning is that we take a look at ourselves and we ask God to show us where we are and why do we do what we do. We're going to go to 1 Peter again. I think it's neat how God orchestrated it. That's... This next passage is applicable to looking at our life. 1 Peter 2. Now, a little review. What's our theme going through 1 Peter? Lively hope. Our, we have a lively hope. And in 1 Peter 1, we looked at a lively hope. What was our response to that lively hope? We rejoice. Our response to a lively hope that we have is we rejoice. Secondly... We looked at a holy life. What is our response when we pursue a holy life? 
We experience that the Lord is gracious. I'll keep working on you. Remember it next time. We pursue a holy life. That's when we experience that the Lord is gracious. When we pursue His Word as newborn babes. And then last week we looked at living stones. We're dead stones made alive through Christ. Part of a spiritual house. That gives us purpose. Okay? So a little review of where we are going through 1 Peter. This morning I want us to see our life as a stranger. A stranger. So we respond with submission. Lean already referred to that. Submission. And my title this morning, The Life of a Stranger, as we look at 1 Peter. It's a reality check of who we are. Why do you do what you do? Before I, we look at the verses this morning, question, where does the Holy Spirit live? Feel free to give me an answer. Right on, brother. In our heart. The Holy Spirit lives in us, okay? Second question, who wrote the Bible? Men inspired by the Holy Spirit, God. Question number three, where is the author of the Bible when you're reading? He's in you. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. I heard that phrase this week, actually from uh, something Frank Reed shared, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, therefore when we're reading the Word, God reveals His truth to us. I want us to remember that this morning as we look at this passage. We're going to look at verses 11 to 25, so quite a few verses this morning. And as we read through this, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us the truth of His Word. Before we do that, let's sing uh, the chorus, Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove. Close your eyes if you need to to sing. Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove, With light and comfort from above. Be Thou art God, and Thou art God, First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit unto every ordinance for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing 
ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God experience grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it that if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is pleasing unto God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. For his own, who? His own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You were as sheep gone astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims life of a stranger. So, like I said, it's a reality check who we really are. We're strangers and pilgrims. And I see verse 11 and 12 as transitional. So this, this uh, main theme before, I saw a lively hope coming through. And now we transition a little bit and I see Peter directing his thoughts to everyday living, and that is being submissive to, the air, to different areas of life. And he greets them and he says, Dearly beloved, they were dear to him. Now, remember who he's talking to? People scattered around, abroad. He says, I love you. You're beloved. You're, you're special. You're precious. You are strangers and pilgrims. This is a common thread in the Bible. It's who we are it kind of puts things in perspective. The Sunday school lesson, he warned about what uh, you pursue in your youth. Where's your perspective through all of that? Not, every, not everything in life is wrong, but our perspective through it all is what matters. Strangers and pilgrims. We talk about an Af- the Afghan resettlement process. We think about the refugees over in Ukraine. Can you imagine with me for a minute being one of those refugees? I uh, talked to some other churches who was involved in that, and some of the families that uh, came to them came with a pair of shoes and maybe a set of clothes. That's all they had on their back. They are now in a different country. 
They are subject to the way they're being treated or the people, how the people take care of them here. It might not be a fair analogy, but we are similar to that, or we should view ourselves similar to that refugee process. We are just a passing through. Therefore, we are to be subject, submissive to the things around us. I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Peter again points to our human tendency, and that is lust. We have temptations. That's just how humans are made. That is what we are bent towards. And why are there temptation and lust out there? It's because there is a war against the soul. And this word war does not just mean a punching match. This war comes from a word that means strategy. The devil is strategic in trying to bring down the strangers and pilgrims. Do you ever read through the Pilgrim's Progress? Great analogy of our Christian life and how Satan attacks. He was attacked again and again. There was a strategy to make him leave the path. Brothers and sisters, if we can understand that there are lusts that are gonna that want to draw us away, that is the first step in submission. Recognizing that we are sinners. Recognizing that we need to be held accountable. And here I see a need for accountability. We need to go to our brothers and sisters and say, what do you see in my life? Here's what I'm facing. We need to be real. And in a culture where a lot of people are left by themselves, we only connect over technology, it is becoming rampant that many are left to face their lusts, their temptations, the things that they struggle with by themselves. We need to bring brothers and sisters in to help us with what we're facing. I don't know if you all meet with a person occasionally. I meet with two other two every five to six weeks. And it is such a blessing for them to speak into my life, for me to speak into theirs. And I challenge you, if you don't on a regular basis... Meet with somebody just to share with them what you're facing in life. Do that. It is needed. We cannot abstain from lust on our own. God's help and the help of brothers and sisters around us is how we're going to conquer those lusts, those temptations that come. All right, you're straight. You're going to have things that are pulling you aside. Why should we think about this? Verse 12 Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. What you say matters. The Gentiles refers here to the unsaved. Those were the unsaved of Peter's day. And he calls them to say, there's people watching you. And I'm sure we all heard stories of, yeah, I was watching him. He's really what Christ wanted. Wow, I want that lifestyle that she has, he has. Does your lifestyle portray that to the unsaved around you? Are they going to want what you have? If you strive for honest conversation, holy living, they're going to see that. And even they're going to, though they're going to speak wrong of you, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to see your good works. And in the day of visitation, they're going to remember that. Ah, 
he did this. I remember how he portrayed Christ in that area. The day of visitation, some people interpret it the end times or when uh, the judgment day. Or it could also mean, I think, when God comes knocking at their door. When God calls the sinner to him, they're going to remember what Christians portrayed to him, to them. And they're going to remember that your conversation matters. Here I see the first points of a life of a stranger. And that is, the life of a stranger is a statement. Three S's this morning. The life of a stranger is a statement of where our allegiance lies. What is your statement that you're making? Are you abstaining from the lusts? Are you asking brothers and sisters around you to fight that war that Satan is raging against us? The life of a stranger is a statement to those around. So, I said those two verses are kind of transitional into the next segment that Peter brings. And that is respecting people in authority. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. How many of you like to submit? Ah, That's hard to submit to what somebody else wants. But God calls us to do that. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. And ordinance here is not just speaking of specific laws, but the overall structure of authority. Okay? Strangers, pilgrims, submit yourself. Put yourselves under the authority structure that is there. Even of man. Even of the king. Now, we don't have a king. There was a king in, the, in Peter's day, the Roman Empire. He said, we need to respect them. Same today, respects the man in charge. Or unto governors. Has it been a struggle to respect governors in the past couple of years? Possibly. As unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Why does God set the government in place? To punish evildoers and to praise them that do well. If we can grasp that concept that God is or, ordains that all, the government structure, that will put us in a place to respect and submit. Now we could talk about practical ways of submitting. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I think that also is in our talk. How do we talk about our government? Do we show respect even when we don't agree? Do we submit? There's a verse back in Daniel, Daniel 2.21, that says, He changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. God is in charge of that. He ordains. He is over the government. Therefore, we need to submit to that. Verse 15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You can't argue with right. Did you ever try to take a side of an argument that you actually didn't believe and try to argue from that standpoint? It can be interesting to try to take a stand that you actually don't believe in. But it's hard to argue against something that's right. Or maybe you heard the phrase, you can't, you can't hate on him. Maybe it's an individual who just helps everybody and is always considerate. 
It is hard to get annoyed at somebody who is like that, with that attitude. Peter is saying, for so the well-doing, with well-doing, you're going to put to silence all the naysayers. Just by doing well speaks volumes. We don't need to justify or take revenge on our own. God will do that. In this quietness, or this silence maybe, per se, with well-doing, that's supposed to be freeing to us in verse 16. We're supposed to be free in it. It doesn't bind us to anything. It gives us freedom. But don't use your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Don't take advantage of the freedoms that we have. Peter here is directing it to the government or people in authority. We are blessed with freedoms in our culture today. Do you take advantage of it? How do we take advantage of it? People around us should see us as servants of God. Not trying to undermine everything, every rule the government puts in place, but rather submit and respect those rules. We're recipients of the freedom. Don't just live life and enjoy it extravagantly. Sometimes we need to serve. We need to give back. We need to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We're going to get to that statement. Don't have a freeloading and give me lifestyle. That is maliciousness. That is an uh, underlying intent through our well-doing. Our well-doing should be authentic. As what? As the servants of God. Submit yourself to authority. Verse 17 We see four simple commands in the Christian life. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor here is taken from the word that means fix a value upon or value. Count it as precious. Do you respect or value all men? It's okay to disagree, but do you value the people you come in contact with, as souls, as precious. Love the brotherhood. Cherish your brothers and sisters. Fear God. We talked about fear God in our our Sunday school lesson this morning. Reverence, revere, respect. Do you fear God? Honor. Oh, value the king. Do you value Authority, a value, the government, is what Peter calls us to. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor is not dependent on the worthiness of the recipient, but on the character of the giver. How I value and honor somebody else is not dependent on them, but is dependent on my character. Do I value the things that Peter lists out? Men, the brotherhood. God and the King. And as I looked at these four statements, I found them interesting in the way that Peter uh, listed them out. So he says, honor others, respect others, love the church, obviously, fear God, and honor the King. Peter is pointing to the balance that is needed in the Christian life. Christians' duty is both to God and the government. Matthew 12, uh, 22, 21, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, hey, whose coin is this? 
And Jesus looks at it and says, well, whose face is on it? It's Caesar's. Give to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Brothers and sisters, we need to find a balance in respecting God and also honoring the king. Many times I negate submission to ordinances because of a personal reason. Too many times I don't like the authority or rules that the government is putting in place because it affects me. And sometimes I try to negate it or not be submissive to it because it's a personal thing I need to do. Instead, we need to look and compare it with God. We, never, we should never do things that the government asks us to that go against what God says. But let's be careful that it's not just our personal reasoning that we don't submit. It should be a reason from God. Honor the king. Second thing I see here in the life of a stranger, a life of a stranger is supposed to be submitted. So we saw the life of a stranger is a statement. The life of a stranger is submitted specifically to the authority structure of the government that God puts in place. Then we jump to the next section. Servants. How many of you are servants? Peter here, if we take a step back and look at the, the era he was in, slaves were allowed. Servants were allowed. Some were treated nicely. Some were not. And again, so Peter addressed more the leaders of the household with respecting authority. Then he now gets down to the servants, the slaves, and he says, you also need to be subject, another word for submit, to your masters with all fear, all reverence, respect. Subdue means to obey. Be subject to them. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. I notice here that Peter doesn't attack the institution of slavery. Back in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, Paul also says, if you're a slave, serve where you are. Do what you are there. Be, be the best that you can be. Don't try to run away from it. And again, Peter says the same thing. If you're a servant, be a servant where you are. Submit to your master, even if he doesn't deserve it. Not only to the one who treats you nicely, but also to the froward, the one who it's hard to respect. Brothers and sisters, this is where the idea of respecting authority. Yes, there needs, authority does need to earn respect, but at the same time, we need to respect even when we don't agree, even when we don't understand. Our culture today encourages us to have our own rights, to fight back when things don't go the way we want. But Peter says, that doesn't matter. Submit anyway. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. How many like to suffer wrongfully? I've heard stories of uh, people maybe pulled over by a police and they thought that they were doing just fine. And they're going to share this story. But I've never... More uncommonly, I've heard stories shared of, yeah, I was wrong. He shouldn't have gave me the ticket. I was speeding. He shouldn't have gave it. No. We get it that we are supposed to have repercussions for our actions when they are wrong. But when we are treated wrongfully, we want the whole world to know to bring justice. Peter says here, when you endure, this is thankworthy, 
when you endure grief, when you suffer wrongfully, God sees that. He sees it. Don't retaliate on your own. Let judgment up to God. He's speaking to servants here. We are servants. For what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. Obviously, you need, there's actions or there's consequences for your actions. Parents, did you ever um, have to discipline your child and afterwards the child comes to you, Daddy, can I have a piece of candy now? (laughs) No, that's not how it works after a punishment. You did something you weren't supposed to, therefore you were punished. Peter's saying, obviously, when you have consequences for your actions, you need to bear it. But there's times when you have punishment when you didn't deserve it, when you don't deserve it. And that is the question is how we respond in those moments. Do we want to retaliate? Do we want the whole world to bring justice? Or do we bear it patiently? And why are we called to bear this patiently? Because Christ suffered for us in verse 21. And He left us example. The word example here means, literally means elementary instruction. I referred to our first grade classroom last week. I'll refer to our kindergarten room this week. If you were to step in the kindergarten room, especially at the beginning of the year, and they have letters and numbers that they are supposed to write, you are going to see a paper with a bold print, capital letter A, B, C, and they are supposed to trace that letter so they can learn to write it. And the teacher tries to help them through that coordination process. The reason we are called to suffer is because Christ in that left us an example that we are supposed to trace pattern our life after. Because why? He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He wasn't deceitful. He was reviled, rejected, but he reviled not back. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't threaten in response to that. But he committed himself to who? To him that judgeth righteously. He did not try to retaliate, try to respond with revenge. Instead, he left us an example that we need to trace after to put that justice in the hands of God who, what does it say in verse uh, 23, committed himself to him that judges righteously. Do you trust and care the things that you think you need justice for to your father? He bare our sins. He took upon it himself, verse 24, that we were dead to sins, that we could live unto righteousness. This is the example that Jesus portrayed for us, that we may be servants who suffer patiently. Here I see the life of a stranger, number three, is a servant. The life of a stranger is a servant. And finally, the last verse, verse 25. For ye were as sheep gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus did this for you and for me. 
He did it so we can live in freedom. We were sheep without a shepherd, but when we come to him, he is now watching over us. He's that bishop, that shepherd, guiding us, directing us. Our life of a stranger should be that of a statement to the world. It should be that of submission, and it should be that of a servant as we think about our life as a stranger. Now, as we think about this, I'm going to go back to the, that first verse. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. The things we talked about with respecting, with honoring, subjecting to your masters. There's going to be things in life, our temptation, our lust, that are going to try to draw us away. How do we respond to that? And I think it's that is so important at this time of counsel that we take a look at our life. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak and uh, ask ourselves these questions seriously. Do you have peace with God and your fellow man? That covers a lot. Do you really desire to live by Jesus' doctrines? Or do you just do it because you have to? Do you actually desire it? And are you looking forward to commemorating what Christ did for you? Or is it just another time of the year? Brothers and sisters, let's take it seriously. Let's abstain from the lust, the war that Satan is raging against us. Instead, let's find balance. Let's ask ourselves, are we responding well? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's live, let's model our our life after that of a stranger. Let's make a statement saying who we are. Why do we do the things that we do? Let's live the life of that of submission. And we're going to continue talking about submission in chapter 3. Excited for that. And thirdly, live your life as a servant. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for speaking to us. As Peter here portrayed the idea that we are to be strangers and pilgrims, there's lust, there's temptations that are going to try to draw us aside. And it's important that we seek your counsel and the counsel of brothers and sisters around us, asking them to keep us accountable. We all have our own temptations and lusts that we face. May we come away victorious against the war that Satan is raging. In this beautiful time of when we commemorate your death on the cross, may we take it as a time to evaluate our life. Are we truly living as strangers and pilgrims? Are we living a life that is a statement, submissive and a servant to you? Would you speak to us, show us the way you want us to go? In Jesus' name, amen.